Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. This week it's just me, Tracy Jones, hosting the business community on Calon FM. My partner in crime, Heather Noble, is poorly sick at home, so I just send a message to Heather to get well soon and it's not the same here in the studio without you. So in a week when all of the questions, but none of the answers, as usual, have been about Brexit, the world's most expensive car was sold for £9.5 million, which is £9,499,500 more expensive than my husband's car. And another high street retailer is struggling this week. It's Paper Chase that wants to renegotiate terms with its creditors through a company voluntary agreement and has brought in the restructuring experts from KPMG. So we have chosen to steer clear of the subject of Brexit once again. Still nobody knows what's happening and to speculate would appear to add fuel to the fire of fear that surrounds it. So I also think it would be a colossal waste of effort. This week then I'm looking into a story that amused social media yesterday, which is the relaxing of the dress code at investment bank Goldman Sachs. This week, they introduced a firm-wide, flexible dress code in an internal memo. They urged employees to use good judgment in their fashion choices, but stopped short of defining what that would look like. Now, this is apparently aimed at bringing the bank's policies up to date for its younger workforce, as more than 75% of Goldman Sachs employees are millennials or Generation Z. And I had to look that up because I wasn't quite sure, but that means people born after 1981. So clearly Goldman Sachs are competing with the larger companies, usually technology firms, hedge funds, which often have more relaxed offices and perks. And Goldman Sachs need to compete to secure the best employees. Also, maybe something to do with this is their newest chief executive, David Solomon, is also an electronic dance DJ who goes under the name of D Sol. And if you're not sure what sort of music he does, you can actually find it online. I found some on Amazon Music earlier on. Just do a search for D Sol. And um, actually, rather coincidentally, it wasn't planned this way, but uh, in one of the articles I read on the BBC, D Sol, David Solomon, is pictured with Sean Coombs. And uh, Sean is the business leader, business guru, entrepreneur that we're going to be featuring, I'm going to be featuring, I'm not going to get used to this, at the end of the show today. Now, Goldman Sachs has 36,000 employees. And one thing I didn't know, and I I went to do a little bit of research on afterwards, that it was historically known as something called a white shoe company. And as such, it traditionally required formal business attire. I didn't know what a white shoe company was. And This is an American term. Apparently, it means very different things in Australia. But as Goldman Sachs is an American company, the white shoe firm refers to a leading professional services company, particularly firms that have been in existence for more than a century and typically represent the Fortune 500 companies. And it generally refers to banking, accounting, law and management consulting firms that are based in New York and Boston. So not only is Goldman Sachs a white shoe firm, it is also a new white shoe firm. So mind blown here, I've learned about white shoe firm and a new white shoe firm is is a more recent phrase. So white shoe historically applied only to those firms that were populated by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants or WASPs. 
and the usage of the term has since been expanded to include people of other religions and backgrounds. White shoe in itself comes from an actual shoe called a white buck, which is a laced shoe made of suede or buckskin with a red sole. And apparently they were popular Ivy League colleges in America. And this uh, very telling story in Esquire, an article from 1953, will set the scene for you here. It describes a social strata at Yale University and they explain that white shoes applies primarily to the socially ambitious and the socially smug types who affect a good deal of worldly sophistication, run, ride and drink in rather small cliques and look in on the second halves of football games when the weather is good. So I'm sure you know exactly what type of uh, person we're referring to there. The other thing I noted is that the memo didn't specify what clothes are appropriate and went on to say, all of us know what is and what is not appropriate for the workplace. So do we? Do, do we all know? And I think that's a really important question. Presumably, the people who work in Goldman Sachs are going to have a, a certain style that they know is going to be acceptable. Presumably, nobody's going to turn up in Bermuda shorts and vest shirts. I don't know. Maybe they'll take their lead from J.P. Morgan Chase, who moved to a casual dress code more than three years ago. So this isn't a new thing on Wall Street. But I, I did a quick look around the Internet for advice on what you can wear for work. Now, there's one website um, called executivestyle.com. It's an Australian website and it's got a list of 20 rules every professional should know. I can agree with some of them and some of them are, I think, a little bit unusual, but starts off strong anyway. So number one, understand what's appropriate in your industry. Top tip. And if you're not sure, look around you, ask, you know, sort of gauge on what other people are wearing or even what the rules of the company are. This is a really good point. Make sure your clothes fit, no matter how expensive your clothes are. If it's too small or too big, it's going to look dreadful anyway. Wear glasses that fit. Dry your hair. This was an unusual one. I was thinking, what do you mean, dry your hair? But apparently, according to this article, you, you don't look like an executive if you leave the house having not blow-dried your hair. And this applies to men and women. Apparently, number five, it says you should pay attention to your bag. Again, applies to both men and women. And not to use a backpack because you look like you're a college student. I'm not sure, sure about that one either. Don't wear strong perfumes. Wear well-kept polished shoes. Pay attention to your watch because research shows apparently that that is the accessory most noticed by other people. Wear rich colours to portray authority and don't wear colours that blend into the background. Avoid neon colours and overly flashy clothes. And then it goes on to a, a bit of extra detail for women don't be too sexy. Again, I think that opens up a whole line of questioning. Uh, wear nude tights. Get regular pedicures, really. Uh, although it is an Australian website, so maybe people wear open-toe shoes a bit more. Don't over-accessorise. And yes, I've got to agree with this one. Make sure that your jewellery doesn't make a noise, especially if you work on the radio. For men, it says avoid ankle socks that you don't show your leg when you sit down and, and cross your legs. Um, your facial hair shouldn't overwhelm your face. Indeed. And they give this rather useful tip. If you want to grow your facial hair, do it over the holiday. 
so that it doesn't look patchy as it's growing. Trim your beard, and this one, most controversially, it says no goatees. Oh, well, apparently, executivestyle.com don't like a man with a goatee. But a little closer to home, if you look at the ACAS guidelines, they, they've got a, an employer's dress code guideline, and you can find that on their website, website acas.org.uk. And they say that an employer's dress code must not be discriminatory in respect of the protected characteristics in the Equality Act for age, disability, gender reassignment, religion, belief, sex or sexual orientation. And the key points to take from this are that employers must avoid unlawful discrimination in any dress code policy. Employers may have health and safety reasons for certain standards. Dress codes must apply to both men and women equally, although they may have different requirements. And reasonable adjustments must be made for disabled people when dress codes are in place. So if you need any advice as an employer or indeed as an employee, then go along to the ACAS website. As usual, it's full of useful information at acas.org.uk. Now, events and news. The next 360 networking event taking place in Wrexham is on the 12th of March. It's at 5pm to 6.45pm and it's at Redwither Tower in the atrium suite. Free parking is available immediately outside the building and you are allowed to attend one meeting per year free of charge but the annual fee is honestly very reasonable indeed. Their guest speaker this week is Nikki Nelson of Nikki Nelson Photography, the lovely lady who has taken both mine and Heather's photographs, which is, are used on our social media pages and on our website, thebusiness.community. Nikki will be giving a presentation on why personal branding is vital to your business. You do need to book yourself a place on here, but like I say, if you've not been before, then it's free of charge. And to do that, go to the rexham.gov.uk website and go to forward slash business hyphen events. Also on that page, I noticed there's next week is something called a workforce wellbeing drop-in event. Wrexham Health and Safety Forum have brought together a number of organisations to showcase what health and wellbeing support is on offer for workers across Wrexham. Apparently, this includes information about free NHS health screening, healthy living, diet and exercise with Freedom Leisure, support for mental health, blood pressure checks, addiction advice, workforce well-being through volunteering or charitable work. It's a drop-in session and it's free and you can call in and see what's available for you. It's again at the Redwither Tower, but this time it's next Thursday, the 14th of March. And the drop-in event is between 10am and 2pm. Bit of news from HM Revenue and Customs now. So they've been increasingly cracking down on emails and SMS phishing. And so a rising number of criminals are actually turning to the traditional method of cold calling on an actual telephone and mostly to landline numbers. Now, if you're like me, if the landline rings, I, I don't even answer it because anybody who knows me knows that I use my mobile phone. However, you might know people who use their landline and if they were to get a call from somebody claiming to be from HM Revenue and Customs might be vulnerable to this scam. They often target elderly and vulnerable people and they use the HMRC brand because it's well known and it adds some credibility to their call. 
HMRC have put out a press release because they've received more than 60,000 reports of phone scams in the six months up to January 2019, which is a massive increase of 360% compared to the six months before. Advice from HMRC, if you receive a suspicious call to your landline from someone who says they're from HMRC and if they're threatening legal action or to put you in jail or paying them using vouchers, then just hang up and report it to HMRC who can work to take them off the network. HMRC underlined the fact that they will only ever call you asking for payment for a debt that you are already aware of and you will have had a letter about it. Or they might phone you if you've told them that you owe them some tax, for example, through a self-assessment return. They will not cold call you about a new debt. They say, in any case, if you're ever in any doubt who you're speaking to, HMRC advise you to end the call and then go to the gov.uk website to get the official number and call them on that number. Never phone back on a number that somebody gives you when they've phoned you. Then I'm looking at a publication from the Office for National Statistics. Interesting little article out this week about the scale of digital exclusion in the UK and just a number of stats that I was really surprised by. The number of adults who are described as internet non-users has been declining over recent years. And since 2011, this number's almost halved. But in 2018, there were still 5.3 million adults in the UK. That's 10% of the adult UK population who have either never used the internet or who have not used it in the last three months. So why does digital exclusion matter? And the article goes on to say, based on research that they've done, obviously, and you, you will be aware of this without me pointing it out, but the internet is increasingly being used across all areas of life. And they've pointed out some areas where digital technology offer a number of benefits to the individual for um, whom the the digitally excluded they find that they're missing out on these so one is earning benefits you can apparently increase your earnings between three and ten percent if you've got digital skills plus employability benefits you've got more chances of finding work a lot of the recruitment stuff is online now you're expected to submit your applications online Gone are the days when adverts were just in the paper and then you sent in a written application. That's really rare. Uh, also, retail transaction benefits. Shopping online has been found to be 13% cheaper on average than shopping in store. There's the communication benefits that the digitally excluded are missing out on. Basic digital skills can enable people to connect and communicate with family, friends and the community 14% more frequently. And then there's time savings. This is an interesting one. The time saved by accessing government services and banking online rather than in person is estimated to be about 30 minutes per transaction. So there's a bit of learning here. I thought that the level of digital exclusion is, is an important one to remember in all of these areas, really. If you're looking either as an employer or as a potential employee or just for your own personal well-being and those uh, people around you. It's just being aware that, you know, you might have some customers that you can't reach digitally. Maybe you can service those customers in another way, recognising that there are 5.3 million adults in the, in the UK that don't have or, or don't use the internet. The, the fact that 
you, you can be selling cheaper online than in person isn't unusual, but how do those people buy if they can't buy online? Now, are you servicing those people? Is there a niche there for you to get into? I find all of these statistics really fascinating because it leads me off to think, oh, we know, how does that impact on me and my business? Many, many moons ago, I was involved in a training scheme um, which, which which was aimed at um, digital inclusion for older people. And my eldest pupil, who I taught how to do emails and to do a bit of online shopping safely and even digital photography, he was 92. And what it enabled him to do was not necessarily get a job, but he could buy stuff online and he could communicate with his family in Australia. Anyway, I I use this all the time, but the ONS has got some fascinating statistics and the scale of digital exclusion is just the one that I found this week. This week on The Business Community, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And it's not just because Heather's not here and I can get away with it. But this week, I'm going to let you know what book we're going to review next week in the hope that if you've read it or if you're thinking of something to get and you want to read it in time for next week, then let us know and share your thoughts on it so that we can include your comments in our own review next week. The book is called Pig Wrestling. Yes, that's right. Pig Wrestling. And it's uh, the subtitle is The Brilliantly Simple Way to Solve Any Problem and Create the Change You Need. You'll recognise the book. It's got a pink pig's bottom with a curly tail on the front cover. It's written by Pete Lindsay and Mark Borden. And it's got some um, great recommendations on it. So um, Steve Peters, the author of Chimp Paradox, says it was an enjoyable book which could bring around bring about profound change. Um, Matthew Side, the author of Black Box Thinking that we've reviewed on the show, says it's accessible, fascinating and memorable. So if you look at the back, just to give you an idea of what it is that we're going to be reading here, it's quite a small book, by the way. Um, So it's a, a quick read. Apparently you can read it within an hour. It says, are you wrestling with a pig of a problem? Pig wrestling is a simple story with a powerful message. Read it and you'll be ready to tackle any type of sticky situation in work or in life. It's the start of a journey into pig wrestling, a process that can be used to resolve any seemingly impossible problem by reframing the issue we can all create change whenever and wherever we need it most. And the authors have worked with uh, elite sports people and business people, including the Olympic champion Jessica Ennis-Hill and the England cricket team. So I think that's worth a go, especially as it says you can read it in under an hour. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to pass it to Heather to have a read of. And like I say, if you get a chance to read it or you've read it already, I think it was only published in January this year, then please do let us know what you think and uh, we'll be delighted to share your thoughts. The other thing I wanted to mention this week is the best companies to work for. We've talked about it previously on the show, not least because Heather used to work for the organisation that compiled the lists. It was published on the 22nd of February for this year. And it's divided into four categories, best small companies, best companies, best big companies and best not-for-profit organisations. The best companies to work for are companies that have got employees from 250 to 3,000. Big companies are defined as 3,000 plus employees. 
Small companies are SMEs with 50 to 250 staff and non-profits are exactly what they say. Public sector bodies, charities and housing associations of all sizes. Each of these companies are scored by their employees on leadership, well-being, giving something back, personal growth, my manager, my company, my team and fair deal. So a fairly comprehensive review of the company as seen from the inside by the employees. So I thought I'd just pick out a few of the the things of note. So the best small company, that's a company with 50 to 250 staff, is this year Brightstar Financial. They are a mortgage company and they were fifth, uh, sorry, they were new this year. So new in right at the top. And they've got 54 in their workforce. And the firm was founded by Claire and Rob Jupp during a desperate period for the couple uh, when their traditional mortgage packaging business was decimated by the financial crash. So they score really well. And I'm really impressed that over 75, seven, sorry, over 70% of their staff earn more than £35,000. Next up is the best company and the best company category is um, 250 to 3000 employees. And this year it was topped by Connect Catering, who were fifth in the list last year. And this is a contract catering company. And I noticed um, (laughs) that they, they quoted from the chef manager at Connect Catering. He says that Thursdays is always roast day. And if I don't do a roast, all hell breaks loose. So I hope they're enjoying their roast at Connect Catering today. And apparently the chef manager also whips up homemade birthday cakes for customers in the staff restaurant of Macmillan Publishers in Basingstoke. Then we go to, oh right, yes, also in that category, Money Penny. Uh, they're new in this year and they go straight in at number 11. So they're a, a local firm that are in there. And I also would put a mention out for the company that's new in at number 19 as well, which is Dishoom Restaurants, which I had the pleasure of attending uh, one in September down in London last year. Uh, I didn't know this much detail about it. I do remember that it was an absolutely gorgeous meal that I had. And it says in the little review here on the uh, Best Companies website, selfless service is the basis of a meal for a meal initiative at Dishoom's Seven Restaurant. And for every meal served, a meal is donated to a child who would otherwise go hungry in the UK or in India. And this has resulted in 5 million free meals being served since 2015. So it gets a massive social conscience score at 86%. And just so you you understand the type of food that Dishoom serve, it's inspired by the Iranian cafes of Mumbai. And it opened its first restaurant in 2010 and now has five in London and one in Manchester and one in Edinburgh and I do believe that Liverpool is on the way as well and they employ 804 people half of them are aged between 26 and 34 and they earn between 25 and 35,000 pounds so then best big company this is over 3,000 employees this year it's topped by Admiral Group a motor insurance company who were third last year and what I liked here was um, apparently there's a road sign that greets everyone that enters Admiral House at their headquarters in Cardiff 
and the straight ahead sign is Kutch, the place for informal meetings and it's designed to evoke a sense of home and understanding and the, the staff there say it's like a family which is no mean feat for a large company to achieve. Also in there another local company Icelander number eight and they were at number eight last year as well and the best non-profit this year Again, um, topping the charts is a new company, um, new to this list anyway. It's TLG Children's Charity. And they work um, in partnership with churches to help um, just under 5,000 children struggling with poverty, hunger and exclusion from school. And noting um, another new entry into this list at number 99 is Chester Zoo. So... Just a quick reminder then, if you're going to read a book this week, why not choose Pig Wrestling and let us know. Uh, you can contact us through Twitter at Tracy Carriad or at Calon FM, or you can go to our website and leave a note on the blog. And the website is thebusiness.community. The business leader that I'm going to profile this week, I mentioned earlier on, has been photographed with the CEO of Goldman Sachs. It's Sean Coombs. Sean John Coombs, actually, born 4th of November 1969 in New York. And he's the CEO of Bad Boy Worldwide Entertainment Group. It's a company with several streams of income. And Sean oversees an empire that includes music recording, production, TV, film alcoholic beverages, apparel, restaurants and more. You might know him as Puff Daddy, P Diddy, Puff, Puffy Diddy or even Brother Love. Yes, it's the rapper, singer, songwriter, record producer, record executive actor and entrepreneur that is Sean Coombs. In 2018, Forbes estimated his net worth to be $825 million and his earnings in 2018 were estimated at $65 million. Now, Sean Coombs credits his success to a business lesson he learned at the age of 12. He says he started his business career at age 12 delivering newspapers. He had a lot of elderly customers, so he would always put the newspaper in between the screen door and the door. And that caring made me different. It made me better than the last paperboy now in the UK. Doesn't mean so much to me, but I, what I take is he's given good service. I don't know about the screen door and the door, but presumably he went one step further than the previous paperboys. Coombs went on to say that if I give the customers my best service and give it to them differently, whether it's music, clothing or vodka, I'll get a return on my hard work. And he appears to apply that same emphasis onto everything that he's done. He seems to have quite a wide portfolio of income streams, as we said, and it, he applies that same level of service and quality to each of them. In an article in the Washington Post, um, it says that music made him famous, but this is what made him rich. Sean Coombs says, I've always been a businessman first, even when I pursue my passion in the music industry, I do it from the perspective of an entrepreneur. And when he was asked about vodka, he was asked about the need to make the brand stand out because obviously vodka is a clear, reasonably tasteless drink and you know, clearly you need to sell it based on something other than its taste and flavour. I'm not a big vodka drinker, as you can tell, so I don't really know what it is that you would buy vodka for. 
Sean went on to explain that the thing that people don't understand is that the only way you can be successful with your branding is if you have a great product to sell. If people go home and they aren't happy, that won't work. Your product has to stand up for itself. And so one of the products, Ciroc Vodka, Sean says that's a supreme product. And he also goes on to say that Revolt TV is also a supreme product. Presumably, Sean Coombs is a man of many brands. Which leads me on nicely to another article that I found on the Forbes website. It talks literally about the many brands of Sean Coombs and says that there are lessons for other entrepreneurs and for other brands to learn from in terms of how he can manage to build such a diverse brand portfolio with all of them being successful in lots of different niches. They said that he was able to leverage his celebrity status, which is clear. He attracted attention through his music skills and and his output there to go into the other brands of business. And he knew that he could use his influence, but knew that that only went so far. He had the nous to know that he needed to develop his business skills and to be able to build the brand empire. And from what I can see, he's pulled in experts to help him with this, but he is central entrepreneur to this. Brand extensions worked well for him. So he can make sense for a brand um, by adding additional product lines. So if it appeals to the same sort of people in the same sort of way, offers the same brand attributes that attracted the initial customers to a product, that means that he can expand his portfolio. He seems to have got it absolutely right. In looking at all the different brands, the lessons there are on building your core and then using those core strengths to, to expand and, and to build it around the key attributes and the things that are resonating with your target audience. Absolutely agree with that. And it's, they say it's possible to create a brand portfolio that crosses multiple industries as long as there is an overall brand strategy that guides the strategic process. Now, there's loads of other things I could find about Sean Coombs, but they're all, you know, the sort of the celeb gossip. And I think actually there is this core of the person that is a really, really good entrepreneur. And I tried not to get distracted by all of the noise around his marriages and his his music world. But there are a couple of things that I noted. Um, he, he hasn't been short of controversy with some of his companies. Um, so the uh, the clothing company that he started, Sean John, um, they were violating some labour laws in Honduras. There were other issues about um, using um, animals in the products. He's dealt with them all. I think it's a raccoon dog fur, actually. <laughs> Jackets made with dog fur. Um but he dealt with them. And, and what I can read is, you know, a big fuss wasn't made. He actually laid down his his thoughts on this and then let his team sort it out. I'm All credit to him. I think you know he's a really, really interesting guy. Whether you like his music or not, I think there's a lot to be said for his skills. Um, at the moment, one of the things that he's working on is... Um, refreshing calorie-free beverage for athletes and he's teamed up with actor Mark Wahlberg to uh, to do this particular project so I think there's a lot more to come from him he's clearly not old he's clearly got plenty of money and loads of ideas so I'll be very interested to see where this takes him 
Um, now, quotes. Let's have a think of quotes here. He, I used a lot of quotes in the show, but I think the one that I'm going to choose to end this show with this week. Yeah, I've got to agree with this one. You have to be somewhat crazy if you want to be successful. That's P. Diddy, Sean Coombs to you. So thank you very much for listening. I hope, Heather, if you're listening, that you get better soon. And I hope you join us again next week for the business community on Cowan FM. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. 